My guest today from the Gamers with Jobs conference call, it's Alan Pyroman Cook. My name is Charlie Hall, and you're listening to Polygon's Quality Control. doing today alan doing great recovering from gen con slowly but surely slowly but surely thanks for taking the time usually it's me showing up on the gamers with jobs conference call which i believe will go up uh later this week as well but uh, thanks for stopping on by and yeah i definitely want to talk about gen con you and i have been going to gen con which is the nation's largest tabletop gaming convention i mean this was my 11th straight year how many how many years you've been going Oh, geez. Uh, enough that it makes me feel bad to count. Uh, probably probably about 12 <laughs> years. Yeah, probably since like 06. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So between us, we got like almost like tw- a quarter century of experience going to Gen Con. Tell for the Polygon listeners, Alan, what, what is a Gen Con, though? So Gen Con is pretty much like one of the OG board gaming conventions. It, it started in like the 60s, 70s. Um, as it's, it's, it's 51st year this year. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Last year was the big 50th anniversary and it, um, it started off as war gaming convention in Geneva, Wisconsin and kept growing yep. and growing. One of the, um, you know, major supporters of it was Gary Gygax, who's a veteran of D and D and, um, it is now pretty much takes over like half the town of Indianapolis every year with just extremely every corner of nerddom um i knew i was in you know i knew i had arrived at gen con when i saw a dude walking down the street with a uh just a tiny blue shell mario kart backpack on just walking around normally like yeah this is uh this and behind him was you know a lady in a wizard costume and you know it's just like everywhere you look somebody is in a costume uh and every like a lot of the restaurants downtown Indianapolis go full on rename their uh, menus, fantasy names for all of their, uh, <laughs> you know, like all of their entrees and beers and stuff are, are named after Warhammer gods or whatever. Like it's, it's all pretty ridiculous and a lot of fun. And, and to say that it takes over like most of downtown in Indianapolis, it's no joke. Every single hotel is filled to the gills. The entire convention center is completely filled with either vendors hawking wares or people sitting down to play games literally 24 hours a day. And now they've filled the Lucas Oil football stadium where the Colts play. That entire place is full of people playing games, you know, from from end zone to end zone, tables set up with people rolling dice. It's bonkers 60,000 people hundreds of vendors it, it's it's wild and under and underneath the play field is true dungeon which is like a giant escape room D themed dungeon larp that takes up the entire bottom of lucas oil stadium so that's pretty that, that's pretty crazy too yeah there's many layers to the nerdery but my favorite part of gen con honestly is the vendor floor it's probably the biggest part of of the convention as far as square footage goes aside from the actual open play hall itself and there there's that's where you've got just all of the big names your fantasy flight games um your asthma d your plaid hat games all of those large companies i I actually think i just named 
companies that are all owned by Asmodee. But anyway, you've additionally got all these mom and pop shops too. Like every 20 feet, there was something new that I didn't expect that I hadn't seen before. And that I really wanted to do a demo of, and either the designers or their close friends and volunteers are there to help you through those games. So I wanted to get you on the line to talk today just about some of the exciting games that you saw. So I don't know. I'm just kind of do like a back and forth thing. I've got a couple, you've got a couple and we'll run down our list. What do you think? One of my favorite games I got was a little $12 game uh, called trash pandas. And it is a simple little card game. I played the I played this the most at Gen Con because anywhere you were sitting there and you had like 20, 15, 20 minutes to kill, it was like, hey, let's play Trash Pandas. Okay. And you're all raccoons trying to steal things from trash cans and hoard them in your stash in the forest. So all <laughs> of the cards are like fish and discarded pizza and old soda cans and things like that. Um, the art's adorable. It's it's a great art style, and it is a it's a good like collecting game where you're trying to be the one to have the most shinies, which I think are like discarded forks, or be the one to have the most fish or the the most soda cans. And uh, the other trick to this, which actually makes it a really interesting game, is that all of your actions are listed on a die, and you roll the die, and you get that action. So you roll the die, and you get I get to take two cards action you get a little wooden token for that. Then you roll the die again. If it comes up that same action, that same trash action, you've already taken the wooden token for it. Then you bust. You don't get to do any actions that turn. Oh, it's like a little press your luck thing going on. Yes, exactly. You are, you're rolling it, seeing the actions you've collected so far and seeing if it's good enough, if you want to stop and take those actions, or if you want to keep going and try to get more actions. And if you bust, you don't get to do anything. And that's really the entire game. Uh, it's it's great because you can just like this tiny little box. It costs like twelve dollars. If you can, you know, if you've got space at a bar, you can just sit there and play it. Like it doesn't take any complicated explanations or anything at all. And the theme is adorable, which is my number one thing uh, for playing board games with people who don't play a lot of board games. It can't be yet another depressing medieval European simulator. Like it has to be something that's fun <laughs> that people look at the art and they go, oh, that's cool. I want to play that. And so Trash Panda fits the bill on all of those. Another tiny little game that was really on on everybody's lips, kind of both literally and figuratively this year, uh, was, a, was a game called Dude. And <laughs> this is a Target <laughs> exclusive party game? Like Target has some good on the shelves, man. But, yeah. But this is from North Star Games. It's it's a plain brown box with 72 cards inside. And each of those 72 cards has dude written on both sides. It actually looks like the, the dude took a Sharpie and like wrote dude all over these cards, right? But the way that you play this game is you you each have your own hand. You can sit like six or seven people at the table. Every person has their own hand. And you're trying to match the card that you've drawn from your hand with someone else's card at the table. But the only thing that you can do is say the word on the card. So there's dude, D-E-W-D. There's dude, D-O-O-D-E. There's dude with a question mark. And when you, when you kind of set this game loose inside a crowd of people, it looks completely insane every all other action around this game stops as people like gape 
at the idiocy that's happening at the table, but it's it's so much fun. I think we played this a bunch up in the up in the conference room that we had at the Hilton too, didn't we? Yes, uh, we. It, it, my favorite thing about this is when you walk by it and you don't know the rules, you're just looking at a bunch of people just saying dude to each other's face over and over in different inflections. Because, you know, you're like, dude, or dude, or dude, you know, and you're all like, but you're all also yelling it at the same time over each other, trying to find your match across the table, kind of like a birds in a mating call in spring, you know, you're all just like, dude, <laughs> dude. And uh, it, it it's best played at a party setting like that, because you can eventually several rounds of it, you will get used to someone else's mannerism and kind of guess which card they're doing fairly easily. But if you rotate people in and out constantly, it's just constantly evolving nonverbal cues trying to figure out because you're, you're, uh, you know, all your words sound like nonsense. They sound like a crazy person. We, um, <laughs> you mentioned being on the Gamers, Gamers Jobs conference call for, um, you know, uh, August 8th, the Gen Con episode. And we have a little bit where we record ourselves playing dude and it sounds like we've all lost our mind. It sounds like that. <laughs> it just sounds like the, I don't know if you've ever seen Pontypool, the thing where like language starts making people go insane and turn into zombies. It sounds like that, except we all just watched the big Lebowski and just lost our mind and just like, just started yelling dude <laughs> at each other. It's really good. But yeah, it's $10.99. You can buy it online from Target. It's on the shelf at Target. There's also an expansion pack called More Dude uh, with with more ways to say dude. So highly recommended. Check it out. Fun little party game. What else did you see at Gen Con, Alan? Uh, So another one I played, and I've played a few rounds of this now, but I'm really, really into this game. It's called uh, Detective, a modern crime board game. Now, this is from Portal Games, which is a Polish developer, right? Yes. And uh, I don't know if the listeners at home know about something like Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, uh, but it's a genre of board game that is basically a mystery where you're given the, you know, the setup to the mystery story, and then you have to go digging through your source material for clues to figure out what is actually happening in the mystery. Uh, in the Sherlock Holmes case, they give you a uh, Sherlock Holmes consulting detective gives you a bunch of fake newspapers from the 1700s and you have to go dig through. In this case, it's a modern crime board game. So it actually has a uh, you are a FBI agent of a new division of the FBI that has a really powerful database that has all of the data in it. So basically, you're going online looking up stuff that that names and interviews and police records that appear on the cards and trying to figure out what other cards you should look at the the overall mechanic being that every time you look at a card or you do an action you go look at the autopsy report or you go look at the police report from a fire from 20 years ago that takes time out of your day and of course my my favorite little detail is that it's a polish developer so there's may, there's maybe a little bit of unrealism about how american policing works but you're uh if you go over your overtime limit you start adding stress and if you get too much stress you fail the case because you know nobody wants american detectives to be too stressed and they're um they're uh <laughs> oh god it's five o'clock i can't handle it anymore yeah well yeah their day ends at 4 p.m it's it's like it's <laughs> just adorable and very european but um the game itself is really great like it it's uh it it is you know, the writing has a little bit of English second language going on, but it's not, it's charming. 
in a way, in a way, you know, one of the cases has someone like mentioning just weird details about a bridge they drove across on the way to work, you know, and it's like, is that, is that going to be relevant later? Or is that a red herring? Or does this person just really like to write about bridges? I don't know, but it's all really fun. It was, the, it was this weird experience though, of, of taking out my phone and there was a laptop open at the, at the table and everybody is, is going and searching into the real internet about stuff that's happening in this fake game. It was this weird, like, breaking of the fourth wall thing going on, though. Yeah, there are actual explicit parts of the card that will just have a Wi-Fi symbol next to it, and it's like, you should look this up on Google. Like, it's a hint. Like, Google this. Figure out what the real-world uh, ramifications of this thing are. We we played a mat, uh, a game, and it was set in, a, you know, set in suburban Cleveland, Ohio, and there was an intrigue with some of the neighbors and an affair. And we just kept like you spend all of your time talking about the theory of the crime and what's the motive and who did it and why. And then following up on your hunch by actually going and interviewing people or going and looking at forensic evidence. And uh, it, it's very much like being uh, playing a police procedural uh, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I didn't have as much fun with that one adventure that we were doing. It was a it was a con exclusive. It was only available to the folks who had pre-ordered it and got it at Gen Con. I'm actually looking forward to maybe getting uh, into some of the there's there's five cases that come with the base game. I want to kind of crack one of those open and, and give that a whirl. What, what What's your opinion on these kinds of games, though, that are kind of one time use, right? You can't be delighted by one of those five cases that come bundled with detective more than once can you is is five playthroughs enough for like a 50 60 game for you well considering each case will take several hours i'm actually kind of okay with that because you're you're ending up a, you know like 20 hour game uh also each case is a bit like a choose your own adventure like I played through it in a con setting, and uh, but if I was playing through it at home, I would go back and be like, okay, well, what if we tried this instead? You know, because there are a lot of details. You get to the end of the case, it will ask you questions like your boss is grilling you about what happened. And one of the options is, I don't know. And I've definitely multiple times gotten a question where I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. And I kind of want to rewind the case and go back and like investigate some more things, you know? So to me, that's great. It's, it's like the same argument against the legacy board games where, you know, you can only play through Pandemic Legacy. You've got your 24 games of uh, Pandemic and that's all you can do. But honestly, how many board games do you play that often? <laughs> you know, yeah. how, many, how many times do you have a board game you play more than a dozen times anyway? Well, right now it's just Legacy. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to increase yeah. my repertoire <laughs> here with my game group. So. Another uh, title on the floor that really kind of caught my attention was called Gizmos, G-I-Z-M-O-S. And I think we played this at least once together at Gen Con. Yeah. This is from C-M-O-N. And C-M-O-N is, is really known for its lavish miniatures games, right? The Zombicide series. That's their baby. You open up a box and like 50 miniatures fall out. No miniatures in this thing. And I want to say it's it's like 35 maybe 40 bucks. It's a 30-minute game once you get it up and running. Um, and, and in the center of the table is this kind of gumball machine dispenser that you pluck marbles from. And each of those marbles represents a different kind of energy. Another element of the game is you're drafting cards. You're paying energy to build cards. But you're putting those cards, little gizmos, 
along your sideboard and creating this kind of chain reaction system to turn energy into other energy to to get victory points. And I just thought it was a it was a tremendously clever way and and, and just looked really good on the table too. And for thirty five bucks, great pickup. I'm, I'm glad I was able to grab one uh, for the Polygon Library. What do you think of Gizmos? Yeah, I, I dug it a lot. It has a lot of uh, owes a lot to a splendor type mechanic where the thing you know you are gathering energy to buy things which count for points at the end of the game, and then the mechanic, like you're saying, of all these Gizmos feed into each other. You can build a really interesting machine that when you pick up a red marble, you get to pick up like three other random marbles and you get to spend red marbles twice what they're actually worth very easily. Like that's kind of the that's kind of the goal is to read all of the powers and, and figure out how to chain them together. Once you once you've got a card that lets you pick up a red marble, then another card that once you pick up a red marble, it gives you an extra marble, those chain together. And you just keep going with that. Towards the end of the game, it gets kind of ridiculous. I dug it a lot. I think it actually, like, Splendor is a simple, wonderful little game. I think it just adds just enough to it to make it still pretty interesting on top of that. Yeah. Hello, I'm Ezra Klein, host of The Ezra Klein Show, and I would love if you checked it out. It is a weekly conversation with the people shaping our world, our politics, our culture, people like Tanasi Coates, Hillary Clinton, Mark Zuckerberg, and Jaron Lanier. These are conversations you won't hear anywhere else, conversations at the intersection of of technology, of culture, of politics, of governance, and that are hopefully getting at the ideas that are changing our society. So I'd love if you would give the podcast a try. You can find The Ezra Klein Show wherever you get your podcasts. Another really good-looking game that I saw at Gen Con is, uh, it's called Princess Zheng. Uh, I I don't know that you got a chance to play this one, but in brief, imagine Stratego, right? But your little Stratego pieces are made out of cardboard, and they're modeled to look like uh, like ornate Chinese screens with kind of ink drawings on them. You're trying to sneak your princess out of the castle. So you, you hide her inside one of these screens, and then you switch screens on the table to kind of migrate her across the board and, and out of the castle. But both you and the other player have a mirror. And that mirror, you can you can strategically place that mirror to look behind the screen and see if anyone's there. So there's kind of a basic rule set that's that's honestly great for kids. I can't wait to get it in front of my my eight year old daughter. I think she's going to love it. But then there's an advanced method as well that that puts another uh, mirror into play and adds all these little uh, magical mystical creatures. It just looks gorgeous on the table. It's, I want to say it's 50 bucks retail. There's a lot of cardboard in the box. And I just thought it was a very elegant rule set with, with a lot of depth to it. Alan, what else did you see at Gen Con that was really interesting? Well, uh, I picked up a tiny little game. There's a booth called mind Fox or Fox mind games, and they had a bunch of $10 dice based games. Uh, which I love those. I love anytime you could take something like that and make it interesting. And the the favorite one I have for that booth is called the potion. And so everybody gets a handful of potion ingredients and you're all alchemists. So it's like beetles and mushrooms and green tonic and things like that. And uh, then you will have a set of dice with various amounts of those ingredients on it. You roll the dice. That is the recipe for the potion. Okay. So if you roll all of the dice, you'll have like a beetle and two green potions on it. Well, then everyone takes one of their ingredients, holds it in their hand, closes their hand, and then holds it out and waits for everyone else to be ready. 
you all secretly are holding an ingredient. And if you complete the potion and you contribute one of the ingredients to the potion, you get to put your ingredient in the bottle. If you fail, the people who bet against you who didn't try to contribute to the potion at all, they get to put theirs in the bottle. This sounds conspicuously like the mechanic that drives um, Battlestar Galactica. Yes, actually, yes. Just that just that little mechanic there, it is that, just in a little $10 bottle. And uh, it, you're trying to get rid of all your ingredients except one type. Huh. And it's great. You can, you know, again, it's one of those games you can sit there at a bar and teach it to people. And uh, But it's it's really fun. The social mechanics of it are great. Because you're sitting there and looking at each other like, okay, are they going to try to help or are they not going to try to help? I, I do enjoy that mechanic a lot. Um, I don't get to play uh, Battlestar Galactica that much because I don't know people who are familiar with that. It's a fantasy flight game and it takes eight hours. <laughs> on the no low joke. end, yeah. It's, it's um, a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, You end up arguing about who and isn't, is and isn't a Cylon based on various things forever. <laughs> uh, boy, and if you got somebody in there that loves to argue, it's going to that's your day. That's just your whole day. <laughs> but no, this is a this is like a five minute game <laughs> version of that, and it's a it's a lot of fun. Another little quick fun game that that really surprised me at Gen Con uh, it was Gretchen's. I, I you know I, I I'm a fan of the the Warhammer Forty Thousand <laughs> universe, not so much of like the orc army, and certainly not of kind of the trash mobs of that army, which are which are these little goblin Gretchen's things. But Gretchen's is a you know, you open it up and you put together a little three-dimensional cardboard car. And it's maybe about an inch long, three quarters of an inch high. And there's a little Gretchen on there. Like, all right, this is kind of cute. But then you get a hand of cards. And it's a road rally game. You are racing against all the other players at the table. And you lay down cards from your hand to represent the the road that's stretching out in front of you. But also on your car, you've got this very poorly manufactured gun. And in order to fire the gun, you have to use the other side of your cards, which have either bullets or malfunctions on them. You just can't look at those. So everybody else at the table knows if this shot you're about to take is going to land, except you. And of course, the same applies to between you and, and all the other people at the table. It's this it's this blind poker game where you're racing these adorable little goblins across the table, and it's it's just really quick. the The theme isn't too overbearing, and the mechanics are just very simple and very fun. Another great way, I think, to kind of start or end a, a, a good session of of playing meteor board games for the night. Yeah, and and my favorite one of my favorite things about Gretchen's is that the goblins don't know how to drive, so they can't drive straight. Right. So you're laying out the track in front of you, but you can only go left or right. You can't go straight and then, uh, or you can shoot the terrain or shoot your friends. Uh, and between that and then you're holding a deck, you're holding a hand of cards that you literally cannot see their values. So it's completely useless to you. Uh, it, it's pretty great. And the best part is the uh, push your luck with the dice mechanics. So you, you determine your movements and your actions based on these die that you can roll and you can roll them as many times as you want and then place them in whatever order you want to use them in up until somebody says, wow, <laughs> the, the orc cry. And as soon as someone says the orc cry, you're stuck with whatever's on yeah. the board. So you're all sitting there frantically rolling the die, trying to get it into your tray, uh, waiting for someone else to yell, you know, goblin cry. It's, it, it's a pretty fun, like you said, it's a light party game. Not party game. It is a <laughs> that that's a specific board game yeah. genre, but uh, it's a it's a pretty light yeah. game. 
Uh, I know that there's one that you and I both definitely wanted to linger on a little bit longer, but but any other titles before we get to that one? Yeah, I do have a quick one. Uh, I played Junk Orbit, which is Daniel Solis' new game, who is a board game designer that I think is amazing. He's done um, he's done uh, Kadama the Tree Spirits and some things like that. But Junk Orbit is a game where you are a spaceship pilot who's just picking up junk and trying to deliver it to people that want it. So like it, it is, the board is three different planets, earth, Mars, and the moon, and they are all surrounded by junk and the junk has a point value and a location. So the moon will have stuff orbiting it that should go to the earth and earth should have stuff that goes to the Mars, etc. Okay. The interesting thing is movement here. You pick up junk and the only way you can move in space is by throwing the junk in the opposite direction. Oh, it's like an, an equal and opposite inertia momentum kind of physics thing? Yes, uh, but your junk is also what you're supposed to be delivering. What? So you basically have to leapfrog around like, well, I'm going to pick up this cell phone that I found in orbit around Mars and I'm going to throw it and then I'm going to orbit around the Earth. And, and movement is a big figure eight. So you're just looping around these planets over and over and over again, trying to pick up stuff to get it to its destination. And if you hit your other players with junk, they have to drop stuff. <laughs> and then wherever you land, you pick up all that junk and then throw away some of it next turn. Uh, it, it was movement is fun and it, it was hard to wrap my head around. So I, I dug the game a lot. And once I played it for a little bit, I got it. I also was honest with myself and was like, I'm never, ever going to get anyone to play this with me ever again. So <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get it, unfortunately. But that's like that that's my calculation at doing Gen Con long enough is like, I know who my friends are that will play board games with me locally. I know what they like and I know what they don't. I shouldn't be buying this like eight hours crunchy miniatures thing because like nobody I know is into that. So. Now, up here by me in Chicagoland, I've got a very healthy strategy gaming community. We like to sit down. We like to play Scythe every now and then. I know Brian Myers is always kicking my butt. I'm going to get you one of these days, Brian. But one of the better strategy games um, that kind of we all sort of independently stumbled upon at this year's Gen Con is called Root, a game of woodland might and right by Letter Games, L-E-D-E-R. Um, and, and when I walked by this booth, I originally thought that there might be a Night in the Woods board game that no one had told me about. There was there was a plushie, Alan. I, I believe you bought a plushie. Oh yeah, yeah. I bought it bought it for my daughter. Uh, then ended up you know like drunkenly carrying it around all night. It was pretty fun. <laughs> but it is a raccoon uh, vagabond, which is one of the races in in Root. And the art is Night in the Woods reminiscent. It's it's. It is kind of its own thing, but it does look like a really nice graphic novel about this. Yeah, more a pen and ink drawing kind of thing. In Root, um, the, it plays four. There's an expansion that I think adds two more players. But each of the four players is doing completely different things. There is the Marquis de Cat, which is this uh, uh, group of cats that rules the forest with an iron fist. The Eyrie, E-Y-R-I-E. They're birds, and they have these roosts all over the forest. There's the Woodland Alliance, which literally fights using guerrilla tactics, uh, assassination and <laughs> kicking everybody out and, and building small um, light bases where they can. But then there's also the Vagabond, which sits back and trades items, and it's just this one raccoon who's waiting to throw in his support with 
whatever faction is doing the worst. <laughs> and he, he kind of throws in his support with the oppressed and, uh, and pushes the game forward that way. Um, I played as the Woodland Alliance a couple of times. Alan, who did you play as? Uh, I played as the Eerie uh, and then as the Vagabond in another game. I didn't actually end up completing a game, uh, but Eerie uh, is like the aristocracy and um, they're birds and their whole thing is like get roosts out on the board to reclaim the forest and they get points for roosts. They don't necessarily have to even control the territory after the roost is there. They just have to build a bunch of roosts. The Marquita Cat... Uh, is building like actual functional structures. Like they're building a sawmill to build, to get wood to build a barracks or build a field hospital or that kind of thing. Then, then the vagabond is, is actually like just pulling quests off of a stack. Like he has a, a stack of quest cards and he's pulling them up and it's like, go have tea with someone in a rabbit clearing. And if you go do that, you get points, you know, uh, go and fight someone in this corner of the map. And if, and if you want to be aggressive with someone and you go fight them, then that makes sense. As, as a vagabond, I was trying to keep my head down because the other mechanic to the vagabond is a reputation track for each faction. And so if I go around just killing birds, I have to kill birds at a certain point to make points, right? If I want to be friends with the woodland critters, I have to be, really friendly with them and i can't break that i have to be friends with them in order to get points so i was trying not to start a fight too early on in that game because it's very easy to get uh backed into a corner as the as the vagabond but as you begin to to play as your faction at the table it, it's very quickly apparent that this is a very thinly veiled allegory of like multiple political and philosophical theories all interacting with each other in this in this very obtuse way, it's it's really satisfying to watch all of these different systems interact with each other, though. For an area control and, and for a worker placement game, it was really well balanced, I thought. Even though everybody was doing different things, it all came together to make a really competitive and, and interesting experience. I didn't feel bored just kind of sitting there worrying my own turns. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is very much like the woodland critters are doing a, a, a revolt of the countryside. And so they're trying to do their thing where they engender sympathy among the populace. The vagabond is literally like a character from an RPG wandering around in your strategy game, just doing whatever, you know, and then the cats are actually doing more of a imperialist. I'm here to cut down the forest and make it look like I want to make it, you know, it, it's, it's all of these. And it's um, the people who make vast crystal caverns, which is a similar thing where each faction is just doing its own entirely different game, but they all interact in really interesting ways. Another nice thing that's kind of evolved the last few years in the board gaming space is this way of teaching games. There's some games that you can, that you can now open up without having, you know, studied or read the manual ahead of time and just get, to playing. I don't think that Root is quite there yet, but they did have this double-sided play sheet that literally walks you through the first two turns of the game for all of the factions at the table and helps everybody kind of get moving. I think that it, it requires a bit more digging in the manual than your average getting started guide these days, but I thought it really did a good job of, of moving you into the complexities of each faction at a glance. Yeah, I, honestly, my favorite thing they did is they give each player a card 
that is like, if you want to run through the tutorial, here's a picture of what your board should look like. Yes. <laughs> here's a picture of what your setup is. We That saved us so many times because it was like, no, wait, should these cards be face up or face down? Then you just look at the picture. It, it's it's um, not quite a YouTube tutorial in a box, but it's much nicer than the days of here are the rules printed out in alphabetical order, figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, still disturbingly a little common. Uh, but yeah, I, I like that people are learning from the YouTube board gaming space and actually giving you visual aids about how this thing should look. I should mention also that there is, is a whole back to the board too that gives you a, a no training wheels kind of advanced version of the game. And it'll be a while before I get to that one. I think. <laughs> uh, but I do want to sit down with my gaming group here and, and play this one some more. Alan, it was really good hanging out with you at Gen Con this year. I, I look forward to it every year. We should we should talk more about this on quality control in the future, I think. Yeah, I, I, love, I love seeing you at Gen Con every year. It's a blast. You get to see so many people just come in from everywhere that, you, you know, you don't get to see very often and uh, play a lot of crazy good board games. So... What's not to love? We went about an hour on the uh, Gamers with Jobs conference call. You can find that over at gamerswithjobs.com. Thank you for inviting me, Alan. It's always a pleasure to do that. And thanks to you at home for listening to Quality Control today. We've got a lot more on polygon.com, including a celebration of a whole stack of additional stories from Gen Con. That includes news on the Witcher tabletop RPG and Cyberpunk 2077, which, whether you knew it or not, is, is based on a classic tabletop role-playing game uh, by our Talsorian Games. So stories on, on lots of tabletop role-playing games, which is a whole other part of Gen Con that we didn't even talk about on this podcast. But until we've got another game to talk about, this is Charlie Hall for Alan Cook. Thank you for listening to Polygons. Quality Control. Hi, Polygon listeners. This is Amanda Clue, Eater's Editor-in-Chief, and I want to tell you about a new show that we just launched on PBS with Chef Marcus Samuelson. Every Tuesday, Marcus explores the food and culture of a different immigrant community across the United States, like the Arab-American community and their cuisine in Dearborn, Michigan, Vietnamese food in New Orleans, Haitian food in Miami, and the list goes on and on. I really like the show because I'm learning about new cultures and traditions and foods that I didn't know about. I definitely didn't know they were in the United States. And I hope that you can add these neighborhoods and cities to your travel bucket list. So check out the show every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. on eater.com slash no passport required or on PBS. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. <laughs>